Canine Detection Collaborative, a detection dog training trio with Stacy Barnett. Hi. Robin Grubel. Hey there. And Crystal Wing. What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Canine Detection Collaborative. I am here with my super duper co hosts, Crystal Wing. Hi, friends. And Stacey Barnett. Hello. And this is one of our last episodes to be recorded while everybody is in the same location here in Iowa. We are preloading because people are traveling and busy, and Crystal has to go back to that full-time job thing. It's my last Monday of summer. (laughs) (laughs) We need to figure out how to do that thing where we can all be in one room when we have that opportunity and record like with us so that we don't have to be like scattered in all areas of your house. Yeah. I think that has more to do with the quality of microphones that we're willing to have. And if somebody wants to send us a donation, (laughs) (laughs) that would be great. But otherwise, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I thought maybe it was technology, whatever. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's been really interesting for us to see is some of the feedback that we had about our last episode, a couple episodes ago, about the dog-directed searching. Yes. And how we were talking about dog-directed searching is not necessarily just follow your dog everywhere, but it actually becomes more about handler-facilitated right? than totally just following your dog. And so along with that comes what a lot of us we see is the fine balance of line handling and independence. So still handling a line appropriately, but allowing your dog to be independent and solve things or, and then the balance of using your leash to guide your dog, but not using the leash as a crutch all of the time. And, you know, like five different other factors that go into handling and, you know, people, it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. I was just going to say it's not easy. It's not easy. So I think before we get into that, I think we should really define independence because some might not realize what we're talking about when we say independence. Okay. I'm going to flip it a little bit and because I'm an art teacher in high school. And one thing that hit me was recently, this was just, I think yesterday, even one of the gurus of the way that I teach high school art, it's called tab teaching artistic behaviors. It's all about looking at the behaviors and analyzing those instead of like what they used to do. So it wasn't anyway, but what he said was, we've been a fan of this term of student directed. And what I like now is that we're all recognizing that it's not really student directed because that's taking all of that away from us because there's so much that we're providing and doing. And instead of being student directed, what if we really call it teacher guided, student decided? And I think that's where it goes into exactly what we're doing here. So what we're doing in the education world is the same as what we're doing in the dog world. So it's all education. It's all the learner and thinking about it in those terms, but teacher guided, student decided. I liked that a lot. I love that. Uh, You shared that. And I was like, like little I know, right? Yeah. So here we would say trainer guided and dog decided could be kind of a way to think about it. But I, instead of saying dog, I usually say learner 
but still dog here is applicable. So trainer guided dog decided. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think when we think about like dog directed, it's like people get into absolutes, which is kind of part of this when we talk about independence, because they think like, oh, to have an independence, the dog has to be absolutely autonomous and like, no, that's anarchy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. This is Nico would love this option. Yes. Yeah. Like here, do you want anarchy or do you want like logical, effective work? Like, and the fact that there's actually a whole lot of middle points in between those two. Yes. We're actually, well, well, there's middle point. Well, actually, no, logical, effective work is what we want, but we have anarchy on one side and we have like total directed searching. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things... Robotic or whatever, I don't know. When we start really talking about the line handling piece and independence, one of the things I don't think people actually think about is a skill that a dog needs in order to be effective when you've got them on a collar or on a harness is to load into that collar or harness that the pressure that goes, if, oh, hey, you're going to go that way, where you have to let them understand how to load in the harness and teaching them that loading into a harness or into a collar like that is okay because we spend so much time teaching them not to pull on their collar. That's why- not looking at me on that one. (laughs) That's a life goal. Yeah, so, but that's why I, a lot of the times you see me, if my dogs are in a collar, they're working off leash. Because I don't need that put on them. My intermediate step and people are going to send me hate mail. I get it. I'll take it. I put a flexi lead on them. Oh, yeah. Because it creates that constant amount of pressure on their collar. Oh, hey, searching with a flexi lead is awesome. Yeah. And it totally alleviates it. That's one of my steps in loading into a collar or loading into a harness is teaching on a flexi lead. Then my line handling skills don't have to be like stellar awesome. So, which is like the whole other aspect of, can you handle a 15 foot line? Or can you handle a flexi? There's also... There's some of that. Yeah. And you have to make sure that your dog isn't powder because that, that's just not safe. Yeah. I've tried it. And that, with that, that was like, nope, nope. And it's also the activity. So like when I was with Emily Lawrence, we had her on the podcast. And when she came in for the seminar there in St. Louis, you know, I was like, Emily, are you okay if I use a flexi? And she kind of gave me a half look for a second, like, oh. Well, yeah. And most of mine is because it's the way that I use my hands. Sometimes my hands just don't want to behave and holding that small leash is almost impossible. So I use a horse lead. So it's a little bit larger and I can grab onto it, but the constant pressure that it gives in such a consistent way, it also allows me to practice having my left hand where I want it to be lower to my side, but this is also a footprint tracking. And so the, the leash handling skills for different areas of detection also has a big impact because Like with the tracking that I do, it's a little bit different than what I would do if I was following the dog, like a nose work type search, but it's still very similar in how I handle. Yeah. And I've done a lot with flexis actually, and I've used it in a lot of different contexts. I do have, I just want to mention play off of what you're, you're talking about with, with the hands I've got, I've had students that just don't have the dexterity in their hands for a number of different reasons. And the flexi is a great tool for them. I've used it for if I want like that intermediate between an off-leash and an on-leash search. But I've also used it with why I used it because what I found with him, he doesn't have the confidence to work off-leash. 
So if I wanted a little bit more, I wanted him to kind of take more initiative, which gets into the idea of independence, right? If I needed a little bit more out of him, the weight of a normal line initially was actually too much for him. And I found with a flexi, he took a little bit more initiative. He was able to develop a little bit more independence. Now that he has that, I've been able to transition back to a normal nose worker line, like a light leather line with him. So it was actually really helpful for that as well. But you do have to know how to use it. Yeah, the really thin biothanes work awesome for me for doing the detail work, like around cars and stuff like that, because it's really light. Those are my favorite. But I, and I do like, I mean, six feet is long enough. I know some trainers who are doing some of the detection dog stuff and they do this for a specific reason. They make their handlers in training use four foot lines. Oh my God. And the reason why is because you reading your dog at four feet away is much different than reading your dog at 15 feet away. So you are, that's part of the training, the eye to read the dog that close up. And I'm telling all my students, longer line, you need a longer line. That one's too short for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I use a 15 for, yeah, it depends on what you're working on. Right. And so, and how you deploy or what you do with those people who are doing cars a lot along busy highways or whatever, you don't want a 15 you don't foot want line. 15 feet, yeah. You're, you're going to lasso a semi if you do that. So, you know, my favorite is the Flex EFL EXI brand and it's the tape. It's like a big, bright yellow neon tape and it's 26 feet. I think like that is my go-to leash for everything. But again, that's for tracking. So that's, that's going to be different, but I, I like the fact that if needed, it can also act as a leash. So if the retractable part ever breaks, but I'm talking like I've had this thing for easily six years of just heavy, heavy use, hitting the end of it, all kinds of damage to it. I use it for a, like in distraction camp, I used it. I had the little brown fuzzy thing on the end of it and then had it strung all the way across the room. And then you hit the retractable and it comes flying across. So it's kind of that simulating predator kind of stuff, prey stuff. So I'm talking like flexies are beast. I love them. Yeah. And for me, I have to have one that fits my hand the right way because I found that some of them are very awkward to hold. So you have to find one that actually is comfortable. I have one that I have to look for which one I actually use, but it is literally, I just take the dogs a potty on it. But I love like for some larger area searches where I may be required to search on leash. But I've sometimes with those, I'll use a 26 foot flexi and that allows my dog to search in an off-leash fashion while on leash. And I've done that before because a lot of times they just say, no, you have to be on leash. When I'm looking at this going, I really, really want to work this one off-leash, but I can't. So it's kind of like when we were in the donkey barn area and we're like, yes, this would be nice to work it off leash, but there are live animals and you have a dog. So sorry. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Safety, safety. I mean, yeah, that's really what it comes down to with nose work is they usually designation of what, when you can go off leash is usually due to safety and insurance situations and stuff like that. Although we're finding, I think at the elite and summit level, especially at the summit level, occasionally they give us a more off-leash option that you wouldn't normally see, except they're like, you know what? You're you're at this level. You should you should know really how to search and control your dog at this point. So you, know, you have that option. I'm just thinking now too, it might be interesting to do a challenge where it's a really, I'm thinking like Robin's four car garage, not trying to call you out, Robin. <laughs> I mean, the one that's packed <laughs> full of stuff. 
Yeah. But wait, wait till you guys get to search that next because I, I said something. But to actually make you have to do a leash in a place that's really tangled up that, you know. <laughs> oh, are you, are you going to go on leash for the, the search I set up for you, Crystal? No, that's not what I'm suggesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's set. It's set. I hear a challenge right there. So you put yourself in a situation. I've been there when we're doing a lot of vehicles and we're working vehicles that are not set up nicely because they're in lots or tow lots. And so they vary in width apart of anywhere from five feet down to six inches. (laughs) And it's being able to handle and leash in that scenario is really difficult because it's getting hooked up on everything. And so figuring out how best, and the other thing I know in the sport dog world, it's not as big, but don't walk backwards. Checking vehicles, don't walk backwards. Doing rooms, don't walk backwards. You can trip and die. It's not a good thing. That's fine to go backwards on containers, right? Well, as long as it's really no. clear. Containers, <laughs> not I, was like, really. <laughs> I was just trying to have some fun and you're like, oh, oh I'll try. No, <laughs> actually you should not even walk backwards doing containers because not a lot of skills. <sighs> I mean, so yes. And some of it's just training. Only unnecessary, but yeah, train that, please. Yes, please. Yeah. The whole containers is a whole other, that, that's a soapbox for me. Yeah, that is a soapbox. Not training containers and, and just like people are like, oh, I don't want to train containers. And they, it's, anyway, that is a total soapbox. People not training containers. Do you have preferences on attaching leashes to collars or harnesses during certain kinds of searches? You know, what's really funny is some of that is dog dependent. All of my dogs will do both, either leashes and or harnesses. Collars, harnesses, naked, they'll do all of it. I just. Right. And so I would prefer for most of the time for my dog, especially my explosives and narcotics, my explosives dogs, especially because crowd work, that we're in a harness because I need, may need him to pull or may need them to pull. And I would rather put that strain on a harness versus an appropriately fitting harness that does not squish their scapulas or constrict their airways, by the way, to let them pull. And that's actually part of the equipment discrimination is to tell them when you're in harness, you're, you're going to get to pull. And so it's part of the starting ritual that you can flip them over. Yeah, that's why I asked, because I know sometimes too, like with the SAR dogs, they really can't wear a harness, but a lot of times too, they're going to be naked anyway. Yeah. But yes. that's that's been something I made that mistake with Yukon was, he needed to be able to pull for protection sport stuff that we don't even get to do now. And he did not pull on a, on a, a collar at all. And this was me being younger and not recognizing the equipment differences. And so I started teaching him to pull on the collar instead of the harness. And now he's a pulling machine that I, I have to go back and continually work on that. So I do have a slight preference in that if I have a choice between harness and collar, I prefer to use a harness, partially because this gets into line handling. And I've noticed this with a lot of dogs, not just mine. Lines that attach the collar, it's actually your incidence of tangling with the legs is higher for some reason. When the line attaches to the harness, it seems to be easier for people to keep the line from tangling up with the dog. We have that in protection sports. Yeah, because if the dog spins around, well, now it's around their neck, which goes around the leg versus when it's on the back point, you can lift your arms up to then keep it higher and they don't tangle. Exactly. 
the other thing that I'm going to get probably crucified for this because I know it's a fault in some areas with the American Kennel Club is letting the line drag behind me. I, I handle like a tracking line usually with my girls. And it's mostly, it's actually for safety because the speed at which like powder moves, for instance, I need a hand over hand ability to manage that line. So I know kind of like, it's kind of like, oh, you, you shouldn't let the line touch the ground or whatever. But that's the way I prefer to handle. If I'm forced to put the loop over my wrist, I will, but I think it can cause a whole lot of issues personally. So you're saying letting go of it completely so it's dragging? Yeah, I do. I put the tail out behind me. And I do that. I can also manage the tail and keep it from wrapping on stuff or whatever. But I do it because I have to be able to quickly let the line in and out because of the speed that the girls are working, especially her, the speed that she works. I have to be able to drop lines, pick them up. And she's, she's kind of a little bit of a bullet. In your venues, are you allowed to completely drop them if they say they have to be online? That you can drop them if they, for instance, if they go under something, if you, and you're supposed to be on leash, you can drop it if you have the intention of quickly picking them up on the other side. So you have to make the effort of picking it back up again. So you, what you can't do is just drop it, stand back and just watch. <laughs> so, right. It was like, oh, no, they're really online. No, they're not really like that. That just, they're dragging it. They're technically on some piece of fabric, leather, whatever, but they're not really on leash. But yeah, if if they're going to wrap up against something, you don't have to like try to like crochet with, with, with your line or whatever to to try to keep a, keep a hand on it. I like that it. visual. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I was thinking like knitting, you know? It's uh-huh. like, you know dog How fast can you put in and take out stitches, right? Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Which gets back to the flexi issue, right? It takes uh-huh. real skill to handle a flexi in a, in a situation where the dog can go under things. Speaking from experience, I have a short dog that I did a lot of flexi handling with. So he's 15 inches tops at the wither. So he would be going under things and you have to really know how to pass it to be able to handle that. And it's really easy for those things to get caught and hung up and it can take a lot of time to unhook them. So I'm a little selective with when I might use a flexi in competition. Just surgery department. Go back to the flexi cup. Yeah. And I really do think that one of the things we just, we had people do, and we've done it for several other classes is having people pretend to, to be dogs. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. And distraction camp. That was great. Yeah. So you can actually, you can tell your dog to be a pain or to be a nice dog, but it at least gives you line handling experience and you're not so worried about correcting your dog, but it's also one of those reasons why teaching the dog to load into the harness, if you're going to use a harness as an equipment cue, and then understanding how to let the line play out and do a soft stop instead of a hard stop, because a hard stop on a, the end of a line can still be a correction, yep. even if they're in a harness. And so when you have some of those dogs who want to, if you look at them cross-eyed, they're like, yeah, that's a correction. You don't want to do those hard stops. And yeah. so understanding how to do that. And I rode horses in high school, so I know enough to be really, really dangerous, but it's equivalent of you've got a really soft mouth horse. Yes. And that's how I want to think about what I'm doing with my line is a line of communication and the dogs can feel 
it should feel like a handshake or you're just kind of like, like you're holding hands, right? I guess that's better than a handshake. Like you're holding hands with somebody. Like that's like a good amount of tension where you're not like squeezing their, like trying to break their knuckles, right? It's just like a soft handhold. That's kind of how I feel about it. Crystal, do you guys have any games that you play for line handling stuff out of your tracking experience? Yeah, we we hook leashes up to each other. So that's that's always helpful because your dog is on a very particular track. And so a lot of times I'll have like my left thumb on my left leg as low as I can possibly get it. And I attach it to like my outer seam or the front of my quad, but usually I like the outer seam. And then my right hand is holding the end of the leash. And what I try to do is to, when the other person is moving away, then I move my right hand so that it gets closer to my left. And so it's, it's the one that's controlling the slack of the leash. And my left hand is just a loop and it's allowing the leash to go through like a little eyelet. And then until my hand gets in front of me, I can't move my feet until that point gets crossed. And so as a little game we play, it's just a, we pick a point as to when your right hand, however close it gets to your left hand, you can't move your feet until then. And then when the dog stops being the human, then you have to like back your right hand back out to get the length of that leash. So it's, it's kind of just, I don't know, it's a back and forth kind of game that you're playing with your hand, but we always set like different criteria for each handler to kind of practice. The one that people kind of laughed at me about was I had my Roomba. I know. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, isn't there a video of you handling a Roomba? Yeah. I, I was trying to figure out how to explain that to my friend in Minnesota. And I was like, oh, I'll just do this real quick. And I was just running out the door. I mean, it was, it was great. I just was like, yeah, yeah, I could show this real fast. She's like, I don't have anybody. Cause I talked about how we would have kids run around and we would attach leashes to the kids. <laughs> That's kind of a, a fun game, oh like gosh. nieces and nephews and not, not like random kids in the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Yes. I should kind of clarify that a little. <laughs> yes. Yes. A lasso a kid. Leash up a neighbor. Hey, <laughs> come get your damn kid. No. So I was just real quick, made a little video of leashing up my little dirty deed. That's my Roomba's name. And just showing how I did that concept. And the fact that you have to use your feet and hands, it gets kind of challenging for people. And so because Roomba is so slow, it gives you that chance as there as it's coming towards you, you can adjust your hand as it's coming away to like the left leash out. But then at the same time, you have to make the decision of when do I need to start moving my feet? Because that, it's two separate pieces for line handling. And so that's kind of a, another little game we play for the line handling for protection sports. We have to be able to post up and that becomes a really important thing. And post up means that you are a post and your dog cannot progress for any further forward to try to bite the decoy or the helper or the toy. And so it takes a lot of thought in how you use your weight and women have to do it differently than men because our center of balance is lower. And wow. so we really have to use our hips and kind of sit on our line and I think a lot of the videos that I see out there are male showing how to do it. And then women try to try it and they're like, I don't have the strength. And it's no, you don't have the technique for it. And that, you know what? I've had that on the back burner for a while. I need to make that video because yeah. I have enough videos together that I could put that together real quick, but just haven't done it. Maybe there's one out there. If there is, maybe somebody could share it. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel if another female is out there making that line handling video. I know it's kind of off topic a little bit. It's my protection sports. I think that the skill of handling a line is undervalued. A lot of the oh, times yes. it's like, just grab onto it and hang on for dear life. I, I see a lot of people like trying to hold it all in one hand. And I'm like, 
Yeah, right. that's just going to get you in trouble. Like you're going to have the line's going to tangle. It's going to drag on in front of you. It's going to pool in front of you. It's all of a sudden, you know, the dog's going to move. You're not going to know where to go. It really seems to influence where the handler even feels comfortable moving. So then there there's is- a lot of finesse. There is a lot of finesse and people seem to think that they have to do it Mach 2. And if we would remember that in the beginning, handling a line is all about being smooth. And so slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So give yourself the grace to, I mean, literally, like Crystal said, hook up a known child. (laughs) (laughs) or or have your training partner and you can tell them okay be a cooperative dog yeah and then you can have now be an uncooperative dog and you can practice that handling that sort of stuff outside of your normal oh my gosh i have to have a dog on my line and that will allow you to get those mechanics underway so that when you do put the dog on the line you're a little bit more smooth they don't experience the correction and it actually, you can let them be independent because I think that it goes back to if your dog should know how to load into a harness and that putting that, stopping you with the harness is not a correction if done correctly and those sorts of things, it will actually enable them to be more independent on the line because they know what's pertinent information and what isn't. Well, that that also kind of, brings to mind, we have a lot of teams in nose work that come to nose work from other sports. Yes. So they may have had a whole lot of obedience or agility or something where the dog is taking a lot of direction from the handler. And now we're saying, okay, now we want you to do some searching. The dog has to be independent. It's actually a very difficult transition for people. And sometimes having that leash in that moment can be really challenging because the dog tends to defer to the handler and the, the handler's natural line handling might be a little bit too restrictive because of their previous training. Right. So a lot of times that's that's a big transition that people have to make, which is actually why we I, you know usually suggest starting a lot of off-leash stuff. But that's where we also get into that little sticky wicket of where people start to take dog-driven very literally. That's where they tend to swing that pendulum a little too far. In the beginning, yeah. But when the, the dog starts to develop some fluency and searching, you've got you've to be a part of it. Well, and that, that obedience to odor thing is, yeah. are they going to drive into odor? And right. once they drive into odor, yes, you have to be able to understand to follow them, which is the independence part. Yeah. But when you start doing blinds, are they driving into the appropriate odor or are they driving into an odor that you don't want them driving into? Or clearing areas. Like, yes. well, you can't just like, I have yet to see a dog understand what search boundaries are. Like those cones that we put on the, that we have, like we have search areas that are kind of coned out or flagged out. I, I've yet to see a dog that really understands what those are. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You don't just tell them? You don't say, hey, No, they say, oh, you know, by the way, search area only goes over there. And oh, don't forget that other area is in play too. I've never had a conversation with my dog. No. Well, and and the fact that odor doesn't obey. No. Either. And so that's one of those things. If they're chasing odor and they go across a boundary, you need to be able to wrangle them in so that they spend time in a productive area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or get the information slightly out, but then start to move back in and like, oh, well, where could that odor be coming from? Oh, maybe it's over there. Hey, Lassie, whatever. Right, this way. 
Right. Exactly. That's one of those things when we start thinking about all of those skill sets the dogs need to have loading into a harness, loading into a collar, the handler needs to understand line handling, all of those sorts of things. How do you teach those? And then how can the handler work on their stuff? So it's a lot. It is. Here was mine from this last week. I found my, I have two parts to this. One, I found myself several times saying, you have a leash. You have a leash. (laughs) (laughs) So when the dog is in the distraction, I would either get the, no, no, don't do that. And I would say, you have a leash. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think sometimes we forget that we have this management tool that we can pull them away from the thing and we don't have to use our voices as much. And it can be a really helpful tool. The one that I'm thinking about was I had radish searching in a vehicle area where there was some really highly distracting. There's a critter nest and there's- Oh, I remember the search, yeah. Several Uh piles of raccoon poo. And there was one corner where the odor was presenting, but it was also right in the same hole where the critters lived. And so when they're only a few feet from each other, I needed a way to manage that. And it took me two pass-bys to go, you have a leash. (laughs) Right. So I went over and I put the leash on her. And then I was able to just keep her that extra six inches away from the critter that she was able to then go, wait a minute, there's also this really strong, actually it wasn't really strong, but there's an odor here that I need to follow up. And just that little bit of help is all she needed. And I was just racking my brains in that moment. Like, how can I help her? I couldn't step in and block the critter hole because I'd be where I was perceiving the odor to be. So it's just, it's a tool that we can use in a really successful way. You have a leash. (laughs) If we really start thinking about leashes as that umbilical cord that you can get a lot of information because early in Dash's career, when we were doing some, I was working through an odor pool issue due to the sources that I was using. And he would go into a trained final response on what I knew was an odor pool. And because we'd worked on some bridging bridging exercises, I could actually very lightly in listener land, can't see this, I'm trying so hard that I can't hear anything while I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) That was (laughs) that was a direct jab, right? Well, you know what? This is why you turn down the radio when you're trying to follow, look for directions on the road. But anyway, does she's making fun of me for you guys? This is this is something I actually said. Loud, it's okay. (laughs) We're cooking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and. So I would dash would be in a sit and I would actually, until he got through this whole, he, we worked through this. It took us about three months to work through it. I'd actually ask him with his lead and I'm like, are you sure? And all it was is like, it was, I'm literally doing two small, are you sure on his line? And he, it didn't matter if it was a flexi or if it was a biothane or a leather lead. And he would respond by either getting up and reacquiring the same spot, or he'd get up and continue to hunt. Or double down on that spot. <laughs> or he double, or he would double down on the spot. I mean, those were like the three options. And at the point where he was consistently always doubling down on the same spot, I was like, we're good. Now okay. he understands the assignment. Gotcha. Gotcha. Those sorts of things on they can be a teaching tool or it can be a crutch. So it's a very fine line. 
But what you said there too is important that it shouldn't take a lot of movement from your hand even. So I was Lisa Higgins last year, I think we were on the boat and she had mentioned that it's just a twist of the wrist. And so when the, like if the line is coming through your fingers and it's going between your ring finger and your pinky, that's a nice gripping point. And I know I use it in the, in the horse world, but I've used it now in, in dog world because it's been a really helpful thing. But having your hand so it's parallel to the ground, almost like you're just lifting your hand above the ground. And then if you twist your wrist just so that your pinky is now facing the ground. So just that 90 degree twist, that enough should be the information for your dog. But if they don't have properly fitted equipment, so if it's on a really loose collar or a really loose harness, they're not going to feel that. And that was something that at Distraction Camp, we had Ronnie, who is really cool. We get to have a Ronnie podcast next. So yay. yay. But she's in the canine fitness world as long as well as all the other stuff. But when she was able to fit the harness properly on one of the, the dogs at the, at the camp, it was lovely to see the difference that the line handling made was tremendous for that team. It was just night and day. And I had seen that the harness wasn't fitting properly, but I didn't feel, I don't know, qualified enough to really make those suggestions. So I really liked that she gave me the confidence to say, that's not quite right. And let's let's see if we can adjust it. Yeah. So it's important to have good eyes to see that your equipment is proper for your dog. Last year, I don't know if you remember this, Distraction Camp 1, we had had one dog where we're like, why is she so handler focused? It was one of these things where all of a sudden it's like, wait, your harness was just not the appropriate for what she wanted to do because the dog was incredible off leash. She changed the harness and all of a sudden the dog was incredible. And it was just like yeah. minor tweak and equipment. And the dog was like a totally different dog. I'm also thinking, you know, when I watch the handlers with having to work the six foot leashes and it is so much harder to read your dog because you don't get to step back and see the full picture. And yeah. I saw that a lot the last couple of weeks with distraction camp dogs, the ones that were on lead most of the time and the ones that were off lead and how many things the handler couldn't see because us from the side could see it. Yeah. We like, they could see the, well, the tail and well, yeah, they could see the tail. <laughs> yeah, that is one reason why I handle on a 15 foot line most of the time, because it's this who accused Robin's version, like that heads up display. Did we talked about that before? Uh, she's got a very, she, her body language around that word is really unique. <laughs> it is. But it is. The little jazz hands and everything. Little jazz hands, are right? Sprinkle exactly. fingers. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So handling on that 15-foot line, I'm able to see more of my dog and the search area and start to make assessments based off of airflow about handling so that I can move my dog into the right location in those those situations to get think, think out of things like odor pools. And having that longer line gives me that opportunity. When you have a shorter leash, Robin, I know you've talked about that with your bomb dogs too. What do you feel like you're, because you're limited now kind of in what you get to see body language wise, what do you really key in on? Like, is there a certain thing? Sniffing frequency. And that's the main one is the sniffing frequency and position of the head. So if they're sniffing along and then if their nose is stuck to a car, they can still do a head snap. Or if they're diving under the car, it very much becomes about the head. 
And I miss a lot of stuff that goes on with the tail because it falls outside of my peripheral vision because I'm I'm working on a six foot line. Right. But if I have the opportunity and if my dog is actually working ahead of me, by the time that their nose has oriented to where odor's at, their body swung around and I would continue to keep walking, I'm now standing behind my dog. And so I should be able to watch the whole dog that way. Or I, I typically don't end up behind my dog because the body, I don't want to look at their back end. <laughs> I want to see where their nose went. <laughs> But the thing to begin with, because I'm actually also, as we're walking along, I'm facing forward. My dog's walking parallel to me or in front of me a little bit. And I am actually watching where my dog's nose goes so that I can make sure that they are keeping it on the high probability areas like seams or under the vehicle or in wheel wells. So that's what I end up watching. And it's funny, I was doing watching videos and watching videos in the, from when we were doing stuff in the chicken coop. And I found myself being able to close my eyes and have my hearing sift through all of the background noise of the chickens to just listen to the dog sniffing, even in that sort of an air testament to my Apple phone for awesome video (laughs) audio quality in the chicken coop. But that type of information for me is because when dogs are actively sniffing, they are actually depriving themselves of oxygen because if they're panting, they're hot or they, they're breathing with their mouth open to start sniffing, are they really breathing or is it just, you know, they're sniffing? So they're depriving themselves of oxygen to follow up an odor and I need to know where that's coming from. There's actually a, a misconception that dogs can't sit with their mouth open. I've heard this a lot. I just want to dispel that myth right here. Right. So that just because they have their mouth open that they can't smell. The breathing out or breathing in is probably more of an issue than the can they smell. Yeah. I've seen a lot of dogs sit with their mouth open. I mean, it happens all the time. And But there is a, a myth out there. So it just sounds just... Oh, we will just, we are... I didn't realize that was out there. All about myth busting. Look at us go. Busted. Yep. <laughs> So Stacy, with Rob and I, I hear more about the sniffing frequency as what she's able to key in on with the six foot at the 15 foot. What do you feel like are the main things you're able to, to use in the moment? Oh gosh, I could use observation based stuff. But what I like to do is I like to look at the dog on a, as a whole, right? I look at intensity. I look at a lot of the intensity, the I look at the musculature of the dog. I like to look at the nose height and how that starts to vary because you can start to see it's almost like the dog kind of hit, hits that that air current and kind of floats on it a little bit. And uh, when I start to see that's, that sort of stuff, I have a whole, there's a whole lot of information there. But the energy uh, that the dog is like the, is in definitely has a big indication. So when a dog's moving, regardless of the dog's natural energy level, you start to see an uptick as soon as that dog enters odor. And it's not necessarily specific to any one body part. But when you see that energy uptick, I'm like, that dog's in odor. And, and that, for me, is a big thing that you can see on a 15-foot line or 12 feet. I see. I'm on a 10-meter, so it's around 33-feet line. 
That's a long line. That yeah. Is. <laughs> For competition, we have to be at the very, very end of it too. And your arm is extended out Ooh. and it's not dragging on the ground. So it has to be in the air and the dog's nose has to be down and hitting every single footprint back and forth. Wow. And in learning how to read the dog there, I mean, really I'm, I'm looking at their butt. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the tracking trailing picture. Yeah. And what's really helpful for us is we'll do circle tracks, for instance. And on that, I take them off leash and I do like a 40 step circle. And there's usually it's lured. So there's food in every footprint, but that gives such a great opportunity to see the dog from the side that we don't typically get to see, except for like when they're making a turn and we're following them, we kind of get to see that. But so much of the time, it's really difficult to understand with our tracking dog. Are they on the right track? Are they kind of faking it? (laughs) You know, and they're just continuing with their nose down. They'll even keep going back and forth and back and forth because they love tracking so much. I think I I have to assume things and they don't want to, they don't want to stop, but they're like, I'm off the track. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, what's going on here? But when you're able to do more circle tracks where you get to read their body language, that's when you start to see, okay, I saw a change in the top line and I saw a change in the intensity and it's subtle but it's just enough to go, ah, are you still on that track? On a lot of these fields, you don't know exactly where the footprints are. Like we're very lucky to have a sod farm and you can see the actual footprints. So if they're off by just a little bit, you know exactly when. And so it's a great place to be able to learn something is to have that really manicured grass. Yeah. But once you start getting into the hay and you start getting into the winter wheat, it's hard to see those footprints. Yeah. And sometimes you can't even see your dog because the grass is so tall. Wow. It's all done by feel. Yeah, it's all feel. And those are the ones that really feel magical because you can feel in the leash that little bit of change. And I've I've also challenged myself even on the sod with my advanced dog. So with Quinn, I had done several tracks where I just closed my eyes and I just followed behind him with the feel of the leash. Wow. And that was a special thing. I wouldn't do that as I'm teaching, but this is, he's wow. already got his top level of what he does. I only went to a three with him. I didn't go to like FHs or craziness, but it was really magical to just have that feel of exactly where the line should be. And for us to be that team. So when you get to be that experienced team. That's, that's also kind of a fun challenge you can do. And this is where I don't want to tell the story about when I was a kid and close my eyes and let my dog guide me into a, uh, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Probably not a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I think I was like eight years old, but okay. Well, you know, you have to try things. And that's yeah. why I'm saying this is for an experienced team, you know, like, <laughs> Gonna go back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is it is interesting to feel your line handling when you can't see or you limit one of your senses. It's right. It really it tunes you into exactly what that line should feel like and just the slightest pressure and how that can change. I like that. One of the exercises that we often do with our detection dog handlers is we actually shut off the lights. Yep. And have listened to the sniffing. So other than the fact of you might die. If you shut your eyes and do your line handling that way, right? that's absolutely concentrate on actually how little input can you give on your line and still have your dog respond. Yeah. And because when you'd be doing this while you come up with games to challenge yourself to figure stuff out. It's really, that's one of those things that I have tried to really think of. Okay, if I do this, will my dog respond? Some of that tests how responsive they are to 
information coming in from their collar and everything that is good for me to know when we're working. But it also lets me know that if they hit the end of their line going Mach 2, they're not going to view it as a correction. They're going to keep going so that they can get to odor. And for me, that's also really important information. And that actually is the key critical component of independence, I think, is the dog's understanding and knowledge and desire to seek out odor. Yes. And we often talk about the odor or odor independence and commitment to odor. And so, yes, that is actually one of the things that we're trying to teach and you can use them. Okay. Pull to odor. There's um, something called a point to point drill. Those are the types of things where that's where you can use odor to load, teach the dog that loading into a harness and pulling you to it is an okay thing. Yep. So I, I think that We'd love to hear ideas from other people on what they t- how they teach dogs to load into harnesses and, and things of that nature. I will also share, there is no shame in that game for using a leash. No. I get a lot of flack for using a leash to train my first SAR dog, you know, just- Oh, really? A lot. And really? it was really frustrating. I mean, to every time go out, why is your dog on a leash? Why is your dog on a leash? Really? And- I just want to put that out for other people that it is okay to use a leash. And especially if you don't have the most rock solid recall, if you don't have, I mean, there's so many reasons to use a leash. I wanted to teach more search pattern stuff and I didn't want to just let him off and just go be free and just go figure stuff out on his own. Like I needed that management tool and I didn't want to use an e-collar because I didn't feel that, well, I mean, I just didn't want to for a lot of reasons, but it wouldn't have helped with what he was doing. And a lot of times the corrections will stop their seeking, you know, and it's so many reasons why the leash was a better option for us. And so don't be afraid to advocate for your dog. If people are giving you a hard time about using a leash, don't just unleash your dog, especially when you think there's a safety issue because people are giving you pressure. So I'm going to throw that out there. I know that's not what this was necessarily about, but I just felt compelled. No. And I think that that's really, really important for people to understand is you get, well, we're not going to deploy like that. We're not going to trial like that. We're not going to certify like that. Well, you have things to get you through teaching phases and training phases, and then you fade them later. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yeah. So, so don't be afraid. I'm training today. And part of my training plan Includes me using a leash because I need, we're working in a public park. I want to make sure my dog doesn't do something stupid like run after a squirrel because they're, you know what? They are dogs. Yep. And people having picnics. Yeah. It's, I don't want to expect that much of my dog. I just, it's above his pay grade. And I guess I look at it that way. If you can get the lesson across and you can relieve an amount of stress by having your dog on leash and they still can learn the concept or lesson you want them to learn, by all means, do that. I kind of go also from the the fact of the unleash off leash is that if I'm thinking about from a competitive perspective, what other people do is not necessarily what you should do. I hear a lot of like, well, so-and-so went off leash in the search, I should too. A leash is not a bad thing. Correct. And flexi leashes are not a bad thing unless you're at the vet and you're letting your dog come visit my dog who is hurt and you're letting your dog <laughs> or you or you're carrying 12 of them and you're trying to walk your dog through a yeah or you let the dog run up to somebody on the flexi lead yeah. and please have good 
good flexi lead. I no lie, I saw somebody with four small dogs on four flexis once. Yeah, and we're talking being handling and sport and detection and using them in a thoughtful training way of having yeah. a plan. Yeah. And I, I use them for traveling, especially because oh. I do too. My Potties? gosh. I mean, to oh, do yeah. pottying? Absolutely. Flexi, flexi means potty for my dogs, unless they're searching. Especially I have a spinner. <laughs> they have to spin in like five circles before they go, yeah. to, they go poop. And I'm like, really? That actually has turned into a cue for me with why. I'm like, do your circles. Ah, that means there- <laughs> do your circles. Very nice. (laughs) Okay, ladies, a great, I know, awesome, (laughs) thought-provoking. Thank you so much for spending time with us, everybody, and listening to our our little tangents and things. Please keep checking the social media because we're we're going to announce a roundtable soon where you can submit questions and things of that nature. So keep that on your radar and go train. Canine Detection Collaborative! We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to caninedetectioncollaborative.com. That's K-9-detectioncollaborative.com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.